Hello everyone, um, welcome to the third podcast of 2020. It's Shahid here from the Creative Floor. Um, we've got a very, very uh, interesting podcast today. Uh, cast actually has come from the community. You guys have basically got in touch with us and said, we want to talk about um, production companies and agencies and how to win business and how to get the best out of uh, each side. So today I'm really happy to say uh, we've got an amazing panel today. Um, we've got Carl Fletcher, who's a producer director um, hello and welcome hello well thank you very much absolute pleasure um, we've also got um, first time another first timer we've got Phil Howells uh, credit director at Havas links group uh, in Manchester all right Phil yeah good. hello hello everyone um, yeah my first time on a podcast yeah exciting yeah definitely um and then we've got an old favorite <laughs> who's, who's the youngest of the lot but he's still an old favorite of ours uh we've got tim jones uh from mccann health you right, tim hi Shahid. hi everybody yeah all good all good nice to nice to hear you your lovely voices again yes yes sultry tones uh yes totally um so we've got um jamie stevens from the juggernaut that is jsr productions hello jamie hello how are we all yeah, good. How are you? Yeah, living in these uh, very peculiar times and trying to yeah. find, you know, the most sensible solution to keep us all working, to keep us all safe. Um, yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I guess um, we've got a big panel today um, and... You know, it was interesting. I think Carl and Tim, this was originally your suggestion to, to have a conversation about this, um, about, you know, how to share best practices and essentially how to win business. Um, and I think this is going to be really fascinating because obviously Tim and Phil, you know, you come from very big award-winning established uh, agency. So you can give a really fantastic um, insight to a lot of production companies out there in terms of, you know, what you're looking for and equally jamie you know you're from a, a massive production company in fact jamie just tell people how many people you do represent those of you that haven't heard of jsr yeah so jsr represents uh, 50 different artists and amongst those artists there are photographers and directors illustrators and then collectives so animation companies cgi houses and, and post-production companies so the roster is um, fairly large in terms of the the manpower yeah, amazing. And I guess you'll you'll be with that that amount of people on your roster. The amount of pitching that you do, you're probably doing them in your sleep. You know, there's, there's so many, <laughs> so many people. Indeed, and everything's obviously a triple bid, isn't it? So um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's literally part of the course. That every day we probably have ten pitches or so going on, and that can be for tiny projects or obviously for for larger projects. So. It's, yeah, um, and then we have got Carl, who, who's obviously um, a director. So you kind of work for yourself, and getting your perspective on this and some some experiences would be really, really invaluable. Well, I'm immediately fascinated by what what Jamie's just said. Um, he probably didn't intend to set a question up, but you know, the whole idea of of bidding, and you know, you mentioned triple bidding. Um, you know, starting at the start. Is it triple bidding or sometimes are there more than three companies? Is there less than three companies? You know, from, a, from, the, from the creative and agency side of things, you know, how does, it, how does it really begin? You know, is there a standard format that fits all or does it vary depending on the project? Well, I think absolutely it varies massively, doesn't it? And um, that's depending on client and depending on agency. I think um, there is some standardization within larger corporations who are quite good about or have a set um, policy over how you have to have three people to bid for a certain project. And I guess probably Tim, Phil and Shahid would be able to talk to that more accurately. I worked for uh, Havas back in 2000, 2001, and triple bidding wasn't really a big thing back then. I mean, it certainly wasn't a standard like it is now. But Carl, to your point, I, I, I see a lot of projects that come in and we ask how many people are bidding on it. And sometimes they're putting, you know, 10 people forward for a project. So it's it's a fishing game, isn't it, a lot of the time. Uh, and then they'll narrow themselves down to three people they think can do the job uh, and then aim to get, you know, a, a sensible price by getting it bid by three different suppliers. 
Uh, yeah, no, interesting enough, you um, mentioned that some people have that process. I think it depends on um, uh, experience as well. Uh, have asked links, we don't, we have, that's not kind of um, uh, policy. So we, personally, I don't want to waste too many people's time. So I'll do a filtering system uh, uh, by myself and through my, um, my boss and just make sure they're happy with, and I would always get down to two. Um, and then I get them to kind of pitch against each other. You know, unfortunately, some of our clients contractually, we do have um, a triple bid process or, or, or even higher, you know, where they, where unfortunately um, auditors have got into the greater business and are looking for the cheapest, um, cheapest vendor. So we, sometimes we have to quote more than, more than three vendors. Um, but I, I think from a creative point of view, we always strive for, you know, at, at the most three, at the most, because not only is it unfair to the vendors who are having to compete against each other when the creatives have kind of made up their mind of, of which which one they want to use, but also it, it it's a lot of work, you know, from, from agency side, correlating all those meetings and, and, and briefings and understanding the project and also from the vendor side. So it's a, it's a huge investment from everybody. So the, the more succinct and the, the, the more um, the, the more um, you can narrow it down as much as possible, the better for everybody. So, Jamie, have you ever been in a situation where you've, you've put three of your own artists against each other? <laughs> um, I, I've, I've put three people up for the same job. I've never sort of officially bid three people um, against each other, if you get me. Um, only, only as far yeah. as um, most of the relationships I have, where someone's asked for a similar artist or two artists or three artists, I've been able to say, look, you know, realistically, this is the best person for it. And as Tim was alluding there, to get three people to pitch on the same project, I mean, theoretically, that would be good for JSR because that means JSR would get the job, but they would yeah. they would want a different production company bidding a different supplier. So I wouldn't ever be able to just hog that one bit if you if you see what I mean sure I mean I guess it, it now all of a sudden we're talking about a balance right between you know the creative output and cost and and those two things don't always balance each other out so <laughs> so so Tim and Phil I'll get to you Carl in a bit but Phil and, and Tim how do you how do you create that balance so say you've obviously you've you kind of sold in an idea you're hugely passionate about it you can see the potential and you've got and you've just got one person in mind and you know that this person is the absolute best and you're going to get the best outcome out of it but now in a situation where you're going to have to put two other people against your favorite how do you balance that and how do you get your best person mm. through that that's a great question Shahid. that's i think that's the um you know as a as a creative especially if it's your idea and you are sold into a pre-existing director or somebody who you know will bring that idea to life stylistically the way you want. Oh, God, there's a screaming child in the back. Welcome to Corona <laughs> Corona Living. <laughs> Corona Sorry lockdown. about that. <laughs> Sorry. This is getting real on this podcast now. <laughs> um, I think, you know, you, you, have to, uh, you have to be mature about it, I'd say, from a creative point of view. Um, I remember uh, pitching uh, a, a, an idea that I was dead set on one director, um, I just knew deep down that that um, they would be the person to to bring it to life the best, uh, and then we were forced into a, th a triple bid, um, and surprisingly, and I guess this is where sort of you know being being a bit more objective about the situation is uh, a director that I had hadn't thought of came with a completely fresh approach, which really made me rethink the idea, and um, you know ended up being the one. That, that I wanted to work with. So I, I'd say, you know, as uh, take, take the process as, as an opportunity to explore, you know, to see how far you, you're willing to, to move your, your goalposts a bit. Um, but yeah, I would uh, it definitely, you know, it's, it, it, it's a, I guess it's a, it's a hell of a lot easier in the UK I found than, than in, than in America with, with um, having more, like a, a closer relationship with clients where you can say to them, look, I prefer this director. This is the one I want to go with them. Then I find in my career, they're more willing to do that and, and take that on board. Whereas it, 
in the US, it's a little bit more of a of a lengthy process where there are people outside of the creative department making those decisions. So I'm just going to push you on that point a little bit because obviously you've got an amazing perspective of, of over in the States. Is it because they just don't care about the directors in the same way that the creatives yeah. do? And to an extent, say, for example, I'm just a bit balling with you here, but say Martin Scorsese wants to direct your mm-hmm. ad, mm-hmm. right? Do you still have to triple bid yeah. with Martin Scorsese in the mix? 100%. You, you still have to. You, you have to prove to the people that are paying for it, you know, that, that, that this is you've explored every avenue even though he's an amazing talent there's there's a, a financial side of it that you know unfortunately there comes a, there's there's creative decisions and then there's monetary decisions and most times in I find particularly in the states it's 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 difficult to um to enforce a creative vision without the money being the the, the main the main driving factor and i think in a in a funny way it's kind of a cliche, but in a, in a funny way, in my, in my experience, the more challenging the budget, the more interesting the idea, the closer that you work with someone, the more you find solutions. It's kind of the most exciting, within reason, <laughs> within 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 budgetary reasons. But it kind of almost feels like the way it should be. I mean, you know, I can remember not in the UK, but doing global projects where you know you enter the ppm and the amount of people sitting around the table is just phenomenal and you think well this will be three hours just to get everybody's point of view on the first point on the agenda you know and it it, it, that that's an experience that takes you a long way away from the creative front and becomes a kind of business Mm -hmm. management yeah 100 percent agree cards i think and 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 unfortunately, the, the more money that is involved in a project, the more people there are on that PPM. So the more hurdles, the more um, opinions, the more voices, the more death by a thousand cuts to a creative idea. You know, there it's a it becomes a committee process, and 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 that is a struggle to get the best creative work through, as opposed to the most consensus. And what about and what about treatments? You know. You, you... You know, I've seen treatments go from, well, from treatments not existing. In other words, you know, pitches used to be, you know, you meet, you discuss, you look at the reference, you talk creatively about the project, and then maybe you write a couple of sides to summarize the meeting to now where treatments can be 10, 15, 30, 40 pages long, you know, going into every single detail. Um I mean, where where are we at with that in terms of, you know, what works, what doesn't work, you know, what is good, what is bad, you know, the whole pitching process, you know, from a treatment point of view. Um, I wanted to just say something there, Carl, to add to your point. Uh, and Phil and Tim, this is something from my experience for even what I'd call fairly small uh, illustration projects. We're now getting asked to get uh, treatments in. And obviously, Carl, as a director, you know, as you say, in, in traditionally, it was a summary, uh, a treatment, and now for a TVC, a treatment is you know, absolutely um, fundamental because you're taking an idea from the agency and you're turning that into a 30-second um, piece of moving image or 60-second or whatever. But, um, yeah, we're getting asked for photographers to write treatments, for illustrators to write treatments, and that um, is, a, is a fairly – how useful is that to you guys as an agency? Or is that just showing something to the client that you've got artists engaged? Yeah, I, I, I think it's. I think it, it can go either way. I think sometimes having more is great, um, but sometimes having less is is also good because you want to keep your cards close to your hand when it comes to production. You don't want to um, lock yourself into too much of a, a paint by numbers exercise. Um, and I think um, oh. you know we we had a, an, an example, and I'll, I'm. I'll use something real. Um, you know, when, when I worked with Carl, um, shout out to Carl on the podcast. Um, I've got a sound effect for that if you want. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm worried about what's coming. Here we go. Oh, great. I love the sound effect. He's very good. Um, so I think the you know, Carl, Carl came back with a, with a take on our original idea for, um, for a film for AstraZeneca, which, um, you know, it blew my mind. And he went into such 
detail in in his portrayal not not necessarily scene by scene but more about his understanding of the the subject matter and 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 the um the 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 idea itself you know it was an underwater it was a um a, a film at sea so there was a lot of technical um water knowledge that 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 he had to have and shooting in the water etc and and obviously that's Carl's speciality it's also a passion of his so that came through very heavily it was obvious um and and that sort of um love you could feel it in in the in the treatment and that was enough to win over myself and obviously subsequently the the, the clients and i think you can you can tell you know you can tell in in that same just to stick with that theme you know in that same bidding there was another uh, director whose treatment you know looked like he couldn't care less about this film and 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 that was obvious as well from the from the just from reading the first page so I guess there's there's that level of um, not necessarily att- attention to detail or going into those sort of minutiae, but more about the the emotional love or engagement you can just feel from um, from a creative point of view from someone who has shares your vision. I think that that's important. I actually I, I want to throw it back to you um, to you guys quickly, Carl and, and and Jamie from a production point of view. You know, we're talking a lot about uh, treatments and you know obviously yourself carl and and jamie you know the, the the people you manage put a lot of effort and and attention to these treatments you know what what can agencies do better i guess from a um uh from the, the initial process to when we award you know do you do you expect more of a um a reasoning behind not awarding bids or you know is there something else that we can as an agency need to get better at doing just you know let's keep it you know, honest and open here. I think it's a, it's a time now for everyone who is, who isn't, um, who doesn't under, understand the process and how much effort it does go into it. Let's, it's, um, yeah. What what can we do better? Communication and transparency is absolutely key. The bigger the budget involved, then you know, there will be more people involved, and therefore the communication tends to be by definition better. Um, and Tim, I'm not shouting out either your agency or Phil's, but often when we get some of these requests in, it's a fairly lazy briefing process, so the briefs aren't very good, and hence they're milking ideas out of the artists. So that that doesn't happen in bigger projects because the projects are much better run. Um, so that that's you know one gripe I might have against some... What's fascinating about what you just said about the briefing process, outside of the UK, in some countries... You get a production brief, and, and, I'm, and I'm also not saying that this is good because actually it can be quite crippling. You get a production brief that's like 50 pages long. And this is, this is yeah. what we want, and this is what we don't want, and this is what they should look like. And, and then the conversation becomes about, is, is this what you want? Because if this is what you want, what am I going to write? Oh, no, no, it's just a guideline. And then you've got the other extreme where you've got this huge amount of information and the feedback is, yeah, but if you've got anything better, and it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. what's the proof here? You know, so it's it's there is no there's no sort of uniformity, but at the same time, it's a slightly kind of obtuse thing to say, but there isn't a uniformity in the creative process because one thing needs a particular brief, one thing needs completely separate. But I think also now as well which maybe doesn't happen so much from an agency side of things is I think the integration between the creative and the production is now becoming one of the most important things. I mean, I, I think as a director, I spend, my, I spend more of my time now in treatment form thinking about how we're actually going to do it than what I think it should look like. You know, it's like in film and TV where you've still got these massive crews in comparison. You can say, that's what I want. And then the separate departments will do their magic to make it happen. Whereas now on the commercial side of things, you as the director have to also be the producer to know that if you put it in the treatment, you can make it happen. So uh, just out of interest, Carl and Jamie, what... what, um... What do you think is the best process for, okay, let's say for film? Yeah. Uh, for me, 
I think the best process, and I was discussing this with one of your colleagues at a different agency in London, for me, the best process, regardless of whether or not you are the, the selected director or producer, for me, the best process is almost a mirror of what happens within an agency where, where a, a, a producer or a director comes in, they sit down, we discuss the project, we look at the relationship with the client, we look at the history of the work that's been done. We look at what you want to do. We look at the pros and cons and so on and so forth. So in other words, we look at the whole brief. And then from there, we develop the treatment. Because otherwise, it's very hard from a phone call or a single meeting to, to fully understand the brief. And then I think, in a way, briefs have to be sort of scheduled according to the size of the product. And maybe the idea of paying for pitches in some way needs to come in because that's never been there. And yet it does exist in other areas. And when you talk to people in other other areas of business and you tell them that you pitch for nothing, they always say, sorry, you do what? Well, you do three weeks worth of work for nothing. And then, yeah, but then when you get the job, they pay you for the three weeks, right? And you go, no, and they go, really? <laughs> how, how many hours do you think you – I know you said three weeks, but if you were to sort of put amount of hours into a single, you know, pitch or treatment, how many hours do you reckon you put in? 18. 18. Is that is that fair for you, similar to you, Jamie, or a little bit less? Or? Um, well, I think for a, for a TV production, we would probably be putting in yeah, a very similar amount of time and I would defer some of that to the director, obviously. So my involvement with that is not that many hours, obviously. It, but yeah, if you were to okay. charge for it, how much do you reckon mm-hmm. it would be? <laughs> <laughs> Can't say. <laughs> Haven't you got it? Yeah, Haven't you got? No, no, come on, you must have a sound effect for that. Uh... <laughs> I think you know. I think the way that it, it, there's, there's another there's another thing that we got. <laughs> There you go. A little bit late. A little bit late, but anyway, there you go. You know, I think I think it's not a question of charging for hours. I think it's a question of it's almost like a flat fee. I I experienced last year a couple of times, you know, on the other side of things, which is is small things with clients and so on and so forth, or or with a big company that wanted to do something small. Um and it was like, we want you to pitch, and we always play a flat, flat fee for our pitches. And it was something like a thousand, fifteen hundred, or something. You know, it's it's not like it's massive money, but it's a it's a gesture to say we are not expecting you to work for nothing. And the the effect is incredible because you think, oh, and there's a there's a certain kind of understanding there, which I think. It's really weird. It makes it, I think it makes a big difference to creative people. It's almost like a kind of validity. Now, I'm not saying that every pitch has to be like this and, and you know, it's different within different situations and different agencies, but it's just a thought because it, it, it does come up quite often now and, it, and it, it comes up outside of our industry whenever I'm talking to people. Just just before I bring you in, Phil, just out, oh, Jamie, obviously, because you're so large in terms of the amount not just size wise i mean you're tall you're not not fat (laughs) but in terms of the people that you represent it's it's large i mean how many pitches do you think you do in an average year that don't go anywhere oh gosh that's a brilliant question um thousands i mean you know probably eight eight nine thousand um i mean well on it what a year yeah Eight to nine thousand treatments that don't go anywhere. Well, pitches. So we pitches. Yeah. Wow, pitches. Yeah, pitches. Eight to nine thousand yeah. e- easily. So, I mean, wow. we're getting you know hundreds of inquiries every week, and um, wow. I mean, it's, it's, I got to the point where I did about a year ago start to um, get our agents and producers actually just to reject um, treating on certain things because. As Carl was saying, you know, yeah. if people aren't prepared to cover some overheads that you've got, you know, some pitches are very, very 
um, time consuming and it actually cost us significant money. And those, those I will yeah. now look at and just go, yeah, we're in it for the running, for the numbers. So you, you quickly learn whether they want you on the pitch or not. God, that's an incredible insight and fact. I'm quite genuinely shocked um, at that. Uh, Jamie, I don't know how uh, I've been in the business quite a long time, so I've got a few grey hairs to show for it. Um, in the past, uh, paid for pitches was quite common, um, but obviously um, things got tighter, procurement come in, and that, I mean, I think it would be great if we came back to that, but that everything is so money-driven. And maybe that mentality might change coming out of this COVID-19 period. I, I, I don't know. I hope so. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, that makes a lot of sense, a little flat fee. Um, and that would be, that would be great. Cause you do feel uh, as a creative, you do feel a little guilty sometimes when you turn those people down. Um, cause we're not all, um, complete. I'm not, I can't swear on this. Can I? So yeah, you can. Yeah, we're not all bastards. So, um, uh, it, there is, there is some kind of empathy there and, um, it's, that would be, I think that would be a brilliant thing. But that fact you just told me, I'm just genuinely gobsmacked. <laughs> um, I mean, this is really interesting because we I don't think on any of my podcasts I've spoken so much about money. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I'm finding it really interesting, actually. I mean, you know, I think, got you know, Jamie's obviously the sort of most amount of, you know, money-minded person on here. And there, there clearly is a lot of um, time spent that doesn't go anywhere there's a huge amount of money that's sort of wasted how honest are agencies with you in terms of how much money they've got to spend before you get into the pitching process i would ask for my producer or if it was just a project for me i would ask directly what the budget was yes i I wouldn't I'm not sure I would pitch on something if I didn't know where I stood. Because it's it's impossible. You can't write a treatment unless you know the sums of money that are involved. As as Phil touched upon before, you know, it's it, the difference between two days and one day is, is a massive amount of money. So you, you have to you have to know. You know, in production, you know, Phil. Yeah, I, I'd say um, generally speaking, something that is a proper job, they will, you know, if, if you ask for a budget and they can't give you one, um, that job will not be set. So I, I have differing experiences with different clients and agencies, obviously. But generally speaking, I, I would agree with Carl that you have to ask for a budget because then that, that um, gives you the, the range of quality they want and it gives you how you can put that together. So the, 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 the crunch here is then how do you become more successful if you're if you know you're bidding against you know two other other production companies how do you win it then is it your relationship with the creatives is it is it more i mean how do you do it what 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 are your best sort of experiences um well writing a killer killer treatment like um phil mentioned earlier you know if, if somebody's got passion about it and oh sorry i think it was tim said at the beginning of the cast um, having solutions that work and people, you know, the client likes and having a portfolio that is showing that you can do everything that you're promising in those first two steps. And I think like, you know, other forms of, you know, business, if I can be so brutal as to say that, it, it the, I think there's two approaches. I think you either ignore everything that's around you and say, this is where we're going, this is the solution. Or the other approach is, you research the hell out of the competition. You know, if you know who that competition is, you look at their reel, you look at the work, you try to understand the pitch environment that you're in. can be quite depressing as a director. I mean, I had an an experience recently where I decided to do the research. And when I saw the competition, I was thinking, I think I'm wasting my time. That's hilarious. But you know, in a, in a in a genuinely hands up, you're better than me. You know, everything that you have on your reel is exactly what is on the page. So this is slightly crazy pitch, but the joke was it went down to the wire, and 
you know, there was still that conversation about who it should be. So that's great. That's great. So you know, this is fascinating for me to hear all you know from from the other side of the of the story. Um, and I guess a big part of this is relationships. Shahid, you mentioned it's about chemistry between you know, it, it's it is like hiring a creative partner. You know, when when we award a job to a director or an illustrator or whoever the, the person is who's going to help us make this idea happen um there's a there's a, a, a real um it's it's really important that we we find uh, people who we can get along with because ultimately you're going to be spending a lot of time with them um and i, I wanted to ask actually because it's a you we, we've been speaking about the pitch process so um you know you've gone through all of that you've done the treatments you've been through rounds of re- reviews with the agency and finally the agency calls you up and says, Carl, we want you for this job. You're great. Get involved. Um, and what I want to ask um, from a director's point of view is um, the PPM process. Because, uh, you know, I think everyone listening on the phone from from an agency perspective has their own PPM stories. Um, mm. And I'm dying to hear how it, what it's like as a director, someone, you know, external mm. to the agency coming into a room with a client and pre-existing relationships and conversations and struggles and, um, and, and just being thrown into this lion's den and, you know, being the guy who's going, okay, we open on a shot, (laughs) you know? um, Um, Well, I mean, PPMs are often um, fascinating and sort of dull from the point that you are going through a lot of agency business. And then, you know, if it's, I've sat in PPMs where we're just doing the print side of things and you have sort of three hours of, um, someone like Carl expounding his very, very exciting TV uh, ideas and then 10 minutes at the end where you talk about a print campaign. I mean, the shocker is when you get into a PPM and you start running through the script or the storyboard and the client goes, I just want to stop you there and turns <laughs> to like the creative director and, and, and goes, I haven't got this script. What is this script? And you go... Well, no, no, this is the script. Oh, right. Now, I thought we were doing the one of September the 24th. <laughs> no, we're doing this one. Right, okay. No, you carry on. You do the whole thing. And the client says, yeah, I've, that's really fascinating. But I want to do the one from September the 24th. <laughs> they are so I mean, that is... <laughs> Sorry, Carl, we thought we were working with another director. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, that, luckily, that hasn't happened. But it would not oh, surprise me. So <laughs> or, or, Carl, do you ever have clients sort of giving you direct directorial advice? <laughs> oh, it's just um. the most wonderful thing. What's great, though, is that it often happens in a PPM. And not to be mean or vindictive it's quite interesting when you ask that client the same thoughts when they're shooting and the 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 kind of the price tag of the military conversation has gone up somewhat and you go you know you were saying in the ppm you thought it might be quite nice what do you think about that and it's like there's a kind of moment where they sort of freeze and go ah yeah, well, that that's about another hour and a half. Yeah, no, no I think yours is the better. One. Yeah, I have to. I have to share a quick story, um, everyone. If you if you give me two seconds, yeah. Um, recently, we were doing a shoot. Um, I won't name brands or agency or whatever, but it was a you know a lot of money in the production. Um, we're talking millions of dollars, and they invested in a, a pretty heavy squad of. DOP director, you know, these I'm talking Hollywood level. In fact, the DOP in in in, in particular was he had just finished um, working on Star Wars, so pretty pretty high level people. Um, and we had a situation where, you know, a few of the clients kept making comments about the lighting not being right. And I, and I remember sitting in the in the video village with them saying, you know, this is this, the, the, I'm pretty sure the DOP's got it nailed. You know, it may not look like it on the monitor, but trust me, you know, these are experts it'll be fine and you know didn't really didn't really hear that you know kept questioning the lighting so it got to a point where the executive producer comes came over and said okay i'm just going to get the dop to come and reassure you <laughs> so here comes the dop you know this amazingly talented dop <laughs> walks over casually to the video village opens the curtains peeps his head in and he says to the clients 
the lighting is fine. And then he walked away. <laughs> and I remember thinking, yep, <laughs> that's, that's how you do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was just going to follow up on that point. I think there has been a bit of an erosion of trust, uh, and this might be me getting old and grey and cynical, but certainly in the last t- 10 years or so, um, where a- agencies were always very, very strongly respected. And I think still probably in pharma world, clients will listen. Um, but perhaps in other uh, parts of our advertising world, clients now do think they know an awful lot more um, and will question things. And, you know, our partnership with agencies has, in my recent experience, been a bit more complicated by clients questioning them as well as questioning us. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, this, this is so, so fascinating. And I, I just want to touch on a couple of those points, Jamie and, and Carl. I mean, you know, you talk about experimenting, you talk about the creative process. And do you think to an extent, in terms of how detailed you have to get into your treatments, how detailed you have to get into your storyboard, you're almost sort of losing an element of that because you're almost saying it's almost like a contract you know the clients all looking at well yeah. on that you know you framed that differently on the storyboard you know, the reference mm, that you gave yeah. me was so different I mean I'm talking many many yeah. many many years ago you know when I was working um you know on tv ads and such I mean my, my best my best pieces actually came from directors who came into a pre-production meeting with nothing they just said it's all in my head and they just spoke about how they were going to do it. And because the, the the clients at the time, A, trusted the agencies a little bit more and they really loved the reel, that was enough. And I remember when I was, even from a print perspective, I remember what one of my cre- creative directors, again, many, many years ago was Paul Belford, you know, world's most awarded art director, phenomenal creative. And a- every time he sold his, his campaigns or his ads, I mean, if you saw the scamps, they were so bad. They were, and he intentionally made them really, really bad. So the, the clients literally focused on the headline. They bought the idea. And the last time they, basically the next time they saw that, that scamp was the finished piece. But because he gave himself so much leeway to do that, because there was no mood board, there was no reference. It was, here's the, here's your insight. Here's the strategy. Here's a series of headlines. Here are a few scamps, and I'm going to come back to you in the, in the next two months. And that guy would be working all hours God sends, and he would probably go through about 60 iterations before he was ready to share, you know, the finished piece. Now I appreciate that doesn't happen anymore, but what that process or lack of process, if you like, allowed those directors and those art directors and illustrators and photographers to have that time to experiment. Yeah. It, it... To, to that is very fascinating, and I think that there's many facets to sort of, you know, the points that you're you're making. I, I, I think, without it being personal, the first thing is it's very personal, which is, you know, if 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 I heard that way of working in a meeting, it, whether it was working with a producer or a creative, whatever. I would get the fear of God, but that's only because of the, the, the kind of personality that, that I am, which is, you know, yeah. you know, I, I'm old school, come from those kind of television backgrounds where if you told a BBC producer, it's all in my head, you know, they would say, well, yes, but that's the door, you know, it, it, you know, it, it's, it, I want to know, how I'm doing it, what I'm doing, to the point at which I I sometimes need to get myself to do the reverse, which is I need to plan it all out to the point at which I can tell you every frame and every second to then put the storyboard in the bag and start shooting without it, just so that I can be aware of what's actually happening in front of in front of the camera. I mean, small anecdote, one of the first things I ever did was with a very very famous actor who's now the brilliant uh, figure, main father figure in this in the TV series Succession, and you know he Who's was that? Uh, uh, Brian Cox. Oh yeah, cool. And you know, you know he was a brilliant person when I worked with him, and I had storyboarded out this whole short film. I knew what was going to happen in every frame, and it gets to a final scene with him and another very famous actor and I get out the storyboard and I, I'm sort of 
being what I thought was the director and you come in through the door and da, 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 and he just looks at me and he says, is that what it says on your storyboards? You know, and it's, and it's like something, <laughs> sometimes planning's right and sometimes planning's sort of utterly, utterly wrong, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, just interesting enough, Carl, you're, you, as a director, you've kind of um, moved across the different areas, so advertising, documentary, and film. How, does, how do those processes compare to um, advertising? Um, they're getting very similar in the sense that um, I think Tim mentioned the video village. That is now becoming a common phenomenon in all areas. In other words, it's not unusual to be standing sort of on your side of the thing on by the camera and to look around and there's like four, five crew members and there's a video village with 15 people in it and you think, how's this working then? So... I say that in terms of the freedom that you're allowed as a director now is not as it was in the past. In other words, there are a lot of layers of producers and executives, whether that's in television or film or even in documentary, that are used as a filter, whereas in the past that that wasn't there. So it means that those areas are coming closer to commercial advertising. And then the weird thing is in commercial advertising, because of content and technology, that's actually now becoming more like I remember when I was shooting documentaries for the BBC, which is phenomenally liberating. So in other words, now you find yourself, you know, Maybe it's a big budget project with only a crew of five or a smaller budget project with a crew of five and therefore the creative director or the art director and so on and so forth, they become the producer or the writer and you're this little team making something which can be a complete joy because we know that if it's a big project with a big video village and a big budget, how much of that shoot time is spent shooting and how much of that time is spent talking. I mean, that's a... That's a strange balance. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. 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 It's 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 interesting. I mean, I mean, not not sort of talking about healthcare specifically, but I mean, advertising and production has just got worse. Don't you think over the last five to six years? The variety has got less. I wouldn't say. It's got worse because I remember when I sort of went back into shooting full-time television a number of years ago with, with the wine show. And when I, when I discovered how the size of things had, had shrunk initially, it was, it was a kind of worry. You just sort of thought, we've got to go all around the world, shoot this series with very little backup, how's that going to work? And then the weird thing is, once you got involved in the process, you were like, oh, yeah, I remember this. This is, this is how we used to do it. This is, we did it, and we didn't have to question it, and, and, and we got it right. And so there's a weird contradiction going mm-hmm. on, which is, you know, even as little as three or four or five years ago, you would go from walking onto sets with, you know, 10 trucks and God knows how many people and thinking, Christ, we're never going to get this lot in and out of lunch in an hour, you know. At the, and then at the same time, there were smaller, you know, documentary star crews. <laughs> I think that that variation has really shrunk and therefore the chance to kind of walk between those, walk between those worlds is less than that. Yeah, sure. Just just quickly, just out of interest, I mean, obviously a lot of the big networks now have started to put a lot of production in-house, you know, from, you know, from sound recording studios to CGI houses to in-house photographers, directors, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, how, have you felt the impact of that um, over the last, I guess, three, four years that they've started to build those, those um, resources? How has that affected you? 
Jamie, start with you. Um, yeah, well, I, I've definitely noticed that trend. Um, that said, there's also been an opening up of, of clients coming directly to us as a production outfit rather than going through an agency. So they're, they're, they're in housing a certain amount of skills, but there are always people still need, needing skills or bolt-on skills. So um, I, I think we've seen this trend historically as well, haven't we? There was a lot of production done, I think, in in agencies in probably 80s, early 90s, and then it swung back the other way. Um, and, and now yeah, it's going back yeah. in-house again. So it, it's, yeah, the trend is to take things in-house at the moment, and however long that will last, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I second that. And, and actually, for me, at the moment, I think this is the big elephant question in the room that I don't think is getting talked about in the right way at all, which is that, you know, from a production side of things and from an API, API side of things and, you know, the, what started as the kind of fear and the horror a number of years ago, oh, you know, agencies are going to take productions in-house and they're going to do this. And you, you can't help sort of sit in there thinking, yeah, but hold on a minute. Why wouldn't they? You know, they are a creative organization with extremely talented people. How, how can you be so sort of, I don't know, blinkered or grand to think that such an organization would need you all the time? You know, we can't possibly do anything without getting... I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. And at the same time, from what Jamie was saying, yes, I know, production companies get to go to direct to clients. And, and what happens is you realise how absolutely brilliant it is to work with an agency. <laughs> suddenly, <laughs> you're involved in this world where, I mean, I, I had it a number of years ago, and thankfully it's not, never happened again, where a client walked straight into our offices and gave me his car keys and said, I'm having trouble parking. It's outside. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's you know it's you know clients want answers to questions that are impossible to answer unless you've got a strategy and planning department or a digital department that can say according to the analytics on your site and the way your audience is behaving your your um you know your customer would would never do that and you know Production companies, how can they, how can they answer those questions unless they have specialists? So I think it, you know, this kind of sort of black and white world of, you know, oh, agencies are taking productions in house. You know, I, I think the the fear and the worry of that is is completely misplaced. I mean, I understand that there's some things going on that are not exactly above board and so on and so forth. And, you know, a system is good and so on and so forth. But I, I, I'm not quite sure that conversation is, is being particularly well managed and had at the moment. But that's a long answer to probably a very simple question. Uh, I, I pretty much agree, Carl. I think the two can um, sit side by side. Um, and like you, Jamie, um, many years experience, the same trend happened with media companies. They all used to be in-house and they extracted and now they're coming back in again. Um, so the, it, it's, it's this, the decision made is based on quality and budget. And so when you have the opportunity to go and get those extra specialist skills outside of the company, that's, that's when you go and do it. You make that decision at that time, depending on your quality and budget. Uh, so yeah, I agree that that they 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 can sit by side by side, and there's some phenomenal. You know, we've got an internal motion team, and there's some phenomenal talent in there that we work with. Um, um, and there's a lot of stuff that we do day to day, um, which if you had an external supplier on it, then there'd, there'd be a lot. It'd be a lot less smooth the process, if you know what I mean. Just to pay devil's advocate a bit with what you guys are saying, um, and undoubtedly you've all got, um, you know, very talented people in your organisations, you know, great photographers, illustrators, CGI experts, etc. But if you had something that was genuinely 
really really special from a creative perspective and you're going god you know we can kind of see this being really amazing we can see this winning a ton of awards you know whatever just being the most amazing thing would you still a use the people that you have in-house and and the second point to that is don't you think some of the downsides to having in-house production to an extent and and having those people attached to your teams almost you know because agencies you know as as you said Carl are, are fantastic places you know they sort of take care of the politics and the business and the strategy and when you've got those uh people around an agency they all all of a sudden get embroiled into the politics and the day-to-day of how agencies are run and one of the wonderful things about bringing external people in is they don't come with that baggage they come with a huge amount of freedom and perspective that you might not necessarily have because you're basically running you know the accounts always outside for for me like personally i think in-house agencies are, are, are great and it's nice when you need to do the sort of more run-of-the-mill stuff um and obviously from a network point of view it saves them money but when you have a, a an idea that's special or that you, that needs to be done properly <clears throat> i think the the age-old system of hiring someone who isn't who doesn't have a vested interest in in your company um, and who comes with a fresh perspective and who can um, can challenge you at certain points and, and and elevate the work at certain point. I think that makes the work better. And I think the industry is better for that. So um, I always go externally, um, you know, slap on the wrist a few times from procurement, maybe, you know, saving costs, et cetera. But if the idea is big enough, I, I would rather stick my neck out and, and choose the right director, the, the, the right photographer, the right um, illustrator, the right 3D illustration company, you know, whoever it may be to make the work the best. Because ultimately, that in turn will bring in the revenue that, um, the, you know, from, from sales from the client, it'll just make uh, for better work all, all around. So um, always externally. Because, I, I, you know, I've been in situations where in internal teams are, are great but you know it, it, it becomes difficult when everyone's on the same payroll yeah do you know what i mean um and yeah i pretty, yeah. pretty much echo that tim and and just um just lastly i guess just because i think this would be really helpful for jamie and carl and, and any other production company out there like from from phil and, and tim from your perspective where do you where do you go to find you know the next director or the next animator or whatever where where do you go i mean obviously you've got producers who will you know have a roster you will have worked with you know people like carl in the past but i'm just talking about for those companies that you or or directors that you haven't seen where would you go where would you expect to be seeing these people and seeing this work um shall i go tim yeah go for it yeah so uh there's kind of there's quite a few sources really that you keep an eye on i've um, there's always keep an eye on the awards, um, see who's cropping up there. Uh, we've got, uh, like what we used to be called an art buyer, a kind of a curator, they think they're called now. So they will feed in, um, uh, <laughs> they will feed in, uh, like directors and, um, illustrators on a regular basis and have showcase, uh, showcases of them as well. Um, and actually, uh, straight from our in-house um, motion motion and film team, the the main guy there, Neil, will always kind of come up and say, "Phil, have you seen these latest directors?" and show me a few, which is great. Um, that's generally kind of, and obviously through um, colleagues as well who work with people, recommend them through. Um, uh, that's generally my list I go to. So just to push you on that, because obviously that's just um, depending on you know the wider team i mean would you want i is it i guess people constantly calling you up or emailing you stuff or sending you postcards how else i mean does that work does that have any impact um i'll be honest with you i'm kind of the emails i'm a bit blind to because as a as a cd you're you've got so many emails coming into your inbox all the time um i mean it's really got to grab my attention if it goes in there i i the odd postcard, funnily enough, the old school kind of a, of a good photographer will catch my eye every, um, definitely. Um, but the showcases are good, particularly for photography. Um, and also, you know, just a, I think a good one recently for me was I had a bit of a passion project and um, I think it was 
uh, MTP came down and did a showcase in our pop-up theater. And one, and one of their junior directors was up for the script. So um, I gave him the script. He's done an amazing job on it. So um, uh, that kind of just happened through not really through, through a showcase. So I would never have met him otherwise. Yeah. And Tim, have you got any other, any sort of tips for, for production companies of getting, you know, in front of creatives? I think, yeah, I, I, I mean, I would echo Phil's. I think emails get lost. Um, always in-person stuff. So the more you can get into an agency to showcase work at an agency yeah. town hall or something like that, I think that's really powerful. Um, it also just gets you to meet people. And like we mentioned earlier, this is this industry is 99% about chemistry between creatives and, and the vendors. So you, you can find um, you can find talent or a partner just, just by you know, having got on with them or shared a, a, some, you know, some bit of creative um, taste with, with each other. So I think, so that's important. And another thing I would, I would just say as well is I'm um, speaking about relationships is word of mouth because I spend a lot of my time, a lot of my friends are in the industry and, you know, it's, it's very, very easy to, to talk to someone and just say, Hey, you know, I've got this, got the script, you know, looking for someone to do more documentary style. Do you know anyone? And that's where you get good people because that's where you get people recommended to you who someone has worked with and has had a good experience because you often enter into these contracts with directors or vendors, not, you know, having a bit of blind faith, Mm. um, not knowing what's going to happen at the end of it. You're paying a lot of money and, you know, you've heard some horror stories, but, um, having having someone vouch for them is 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 worth its weight in gold in this industry. And interesting enough, um, a, a good example of that is uh, Tim worked with Carl on the attack, and I don't want to blow smoke up Carl's backside, but um, uh, the first thing I asked Tim was because I could see the quality of the film. What's he like to work with? I said he's an asshole. <laughs> 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 and, and I, that, I agree. Right. I, think that's, I think that's the first thing that I said to Phil was, by the way, Phil, do you know that I'm an arsehole? <laughs> Just kidding, Carl. I love you. Uh, that's really helpful. Yeah. That's great. And, and in terms of any publications that you particularly look go to, are there, is there anything? Well, yeah, I think Lurza's obviously, Lurza's archive, um, award shows, definitely you look at who's, Who's doing the most interesting work? Um, you, you scroll that credit list if you're smart, and you you pinpoint new talent, new vendors. Um, you know, a, a, a few years ago, you always used to keep an eye on the um, Sergeant Sachi New Directors Showcase. I think that was big for me. Um, trying to think what else. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the more you're in the industry, the more you know the big production companies, you know, JSR, um, MTP, you know, Phil mentioned. So yeah, there's you just have to keep looking and and. I, you know, dare I say, t- take a gamble every now and then on a young director because they come with something that that uh, most people don't, and that's the the willingness to to try some new stuff. So that's another another thing to think about. Yeah, amazing. I think that's a that's a really great place to conclude. And I think you know, from from everything you've all said, I think tenacity and trust were the two things that really stood out for me. And uh, I guess coming out of corona and covid that's exactly what we're all going to need and uh and obviously just being nice to each other so uh i have a few shout outs if you don't mind i've had some through linkedin facebook and twitter so i'm just going to mention a few shout outs to some people who are out there looking for work and who are hugely talented so i've got one from sweater patak um i think you might know her phil uh she's yeah she's great yeah, she's a senior creative. Um, she's been freelancing around and she's worked at Havas uh, for quite a while. She's fantastic. You can see her work at cargocollective.com slash sweater patak. And that is spelled S-W-E-T-A-P-A-T-H-A-K. Um, also, uh, a big shout out to Pete Muller, uh, who's a fantastic photographer. I've actually checked his work out just before this podcast. It's really cool. If you go to Pete Muller, um, M-U-L-L-E-R dot co dot UK you can check him out and big shout out to Nick Wilkins who's a brilliant website developer um, so you can check out his work at Nick 
wilkins.com that's w-i-l-k-i-n-s and lastly uh there is a brilliant commercials director uh called richard paris wilson uh rich actually uh directed the new diversity in advertising documentary that's available on the creative floor um did a fantastic job and you can check out all his projects at healthy-films.com okay brilliant i think that's enough shout outs for today okay well i'd just like to conclude by thanking uh jamie phil carl and tim for their time today i think it's been a really really fantastic conversation um i hope uh whoever's listening to this uh has got something out of it uh if anything we've sort of killed an hour of your day at home so that's okay um and if you have enjoyed this podcast please do rate and subscribe and, and share this so thanks a lot everyone goodbye thanks, 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 a pleasure thank you very much